Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We are in a series of messages on the Apostles' Creed. Now, for those who don't know, the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed in Christendom. Roughly, for sure, within 10 years of when the Apostle John died, we had the Apostles' Creed in the basic form that you and I have confessed it since we were children. Right? Now, the reason that this is important right, is the Bible says in Jude, the third verse, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. And here's what happens. There is what I just like to call faith or vision drift, right? Faith drift. You start in one point, but you don't tend to stay there. Let me give you an example. Harvard University was began to train young men to be preachers of the gospel and to evangelize. That was the purpose of Harvard University. How many of you know that is no longer the purpose of Harvard University? I mean, they're not even close, all right? In fact, they're kind of like anti-gospel, all right? But they drifted. So the Bible says in Jude, the third verse, to contend earnestly for the faith which was delivered to the saints once for all. In other words, the church doesn't change. The faith doesn't change. What the church believed in the first century is what the church should believe in the 21st century. So we've just been unpacking the Apostles' Creed, And what we've been doing is we've been beginning each one of our sessions by repeating the creed or confessing the creed together. And and realize when you're confessing this, that through the centuries, billions of Christians have made the same confession. In fact, in the second century, in other words, right after John the Apostle died, when a Christian, when a person became a Christian and wanted to be water baptized, this was the confession. It was called the rule of faith. We call it the Apostles' Creed. They called it the rule of faith. And when you wanted to be water baptized, this was the confession that you would make. So let's read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Well, today we are going to take a look at he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Again, I need to make a confession we, we are, uh, I guess, now on part seven, and we were going to have six parts to the whole thing. It, it just keeps on growing, all right? It's really hard, and I just want you to know I'm being good, all right? Because I, I looked at this, and I thought, well, I'm going to kind of hit it, but I looked at that God the Father Almighty, and I thought, we need to do two weeks on that all by itself, and I'm just going to skip it, all right? So we're just, we're just going to kind of jump in here. But let me, let me just say we're, we're trying to, to go a little bit faster as we're, as we're going along here. Acts 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. 
1 Peter 3, 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Well, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, there were 40 days, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, that he spent with the disciples. And he talked to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Right? Now, again, in Western Christianity, we tend to think a whole lot about personal salvation. That's what we tend to focus on. Right? But when you look at what, the early, what Jesus taught, and even what the church taught, for example, in Acts chapter 8, Philip is preaching in Samaria. He preaches to them things concerning the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what he taught, the kingdom of God. All right? Now, personal salvation should be your experience in the kingdom of God, All right? beginning immediately when you get saved. All right? your, your salvation does not begin when you die. You know that, right? It's not to begin when you die. It is to begin the moment you receive Jesus and you become a part of the kingdom of God. So Jesus, when he, taught, when he came, this is what Jesus preached. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. That was what Jesus began preaching. In fact, that's all he ever preached was the kingdom of God and how to live in the kingdom of God. My favorite translation of that verse says it this way. It says, rethink your life because God's kingdom is here. Rethink your life. God's kingdom is here. And I think you realize this, but there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of this world. In fact, that's what it calls it in the book of Revelation. The kingdoms of this world. There is a worldly kingdom, but there is also a heavenly kingdom. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said to them, go, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And by the way, you experience the kingdom inside the community of believers, inside the community of the church, which is one of the reasons we want every one of you to get involved in a small group. Jesus said, I will build my, my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Every time Jesus was preaching, he was talking about the kingdom. When he arose, he said, the kingdom talks to the disciples about the, the king, excuse me, about the kingdom of God. He ascends into heaven. He takes his seat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, he did not sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he was finished. When our kids were growing up, our son Daniel, I don't know where we were, we were reading our Bible or going through a Bible lesson, but Daniel, Daniel said, you know, so he said, God created the world in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. And he said, why did he rest? He said, all he did was talk. He said, I talk all the time. I never get tired. Right? See, God did not rest because he was tired. Right? He rested because he was done. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father, he didn't sit down. He didn't go, oh, my goodness, have I been through it. You know, I just defeated death, hell, and the devil. I've been dead for three days, rose from the dead. I'm telling you, I am worn out, and I'm going to sit down. No, 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 no. He sat down to illustrate the fact that he was finished, that there was nothing more to be done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that God was working in Christ, restoring the world to himself. So when Jesus is on the cross, God's working in Christ. 
But he's not working on Christ. He's working in Christ, but not on him. He's working on you because he was your representative. In everything that he did, he represented you and me. God was working in Christ, but not on Christ, on you. He was doing something in you. What was he doing? He was restoring you to himself. So Jesus gets to heaven. He has his blood. He puts his blood on the mercy seat. And again, let me just review for just a second. In the Old Testament, if you ever read it, you get to the part about the tabernacle. How many of you have read your whole Bible? All right. And there is this one part where you get, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and God says, build me a tent, a church, a portable church building, and make it exactly like this. And God tells him how to make it. And I mean, there's like chapter after chapter, and it's got to be this color and this long and this thick and these kind of ho- this kind of hook, and then put this to silver, and this is gold, and this make it this wood, and then cover it with gold, and then do this, and then do that. And I mean, you're like, oh, what is it all about? Well, here's the answer. It's about a box. There's a box that goes in one part, all right? There's the, there's the main section, then there's the holy place, and there's the most holy place, right? And in that most holy place, there is a box, and everything is about the box, right? It's called the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Now, some of you, you know about this because you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you know. You know above all things, do not open, all right? Do not open. You know that, all right? But what they said there is not true. Okay, but you don't open it. Anyhow, inside, Ten Commandments. That's what's there. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, and only once a year the priest could go in, and he would go in with blood. The Bible says never without blood. He would go in, and he would sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat. And when he would come out, the other priest would blow silver trumpets and say, the sacrifice for your sin has been accepted. But God told Moses, make it exactly like I tell you because it's a copy of a temple, the book of Hebrews says, that God has in heaven. So it says in Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, the priest had to go in every year with the blood of bulls and goats because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away blood, excuse me, take away sin. The Amplified says he went once for all into the holy of holies of heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves, by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption and everlasting release. So what Jesus did with his blood was he found or obtained a complete redemption. An everlasting release. That means that God did not leave anything out. It's complete. You are never going to pray to God and say, God, we've got this problem and this problem. And God go, oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? We never thought about that. Surprise, surprise. Jesus, we missed it. No, he secured a complete redemption. He planned and provided for every area of our life through faith in the blood of Jesus. You know, you think that you have VIP problems, but you don't, right? You just have ordinary problems. They are not unique. They are covered. It was not overlooked in the plan of redemption. 
Everything was covered. Now, I have a friend who took his family to Disney World. And he tells this story. He said, they're at Disney World. It's hot. It's hot. And they're standing in line for this ride. And right in front of them, there is a grandma and her grandson. Now, he's got a Mickey Mouse hat, Mickey Mouse character, Mickey Mouse shirt. He's eating cotton candy, you know. But he's sitting there, and they're waiting in line. And this little kid's like six years old. And he goes, Grandma, it's so hot. It's so hot. I hate waiting in line. And Grandma, I don't even know if I'm going to like this thing. I don't even know if I'm going to like the ride. And Grandma, I need something else to drink. And Grandma, I think I just want to go back to the hotel and play in the pool. And Grandma, why do we have to wait in line? You know, what are you thinking right now? You know, well, Grandma, Grandma said, she said, listen. She said, we have come, I have driven hundreds and hundreds of miles all the way from Arkansas to bring you here. Now, you know this, don't you, that the toothbrush was invented in Arkansas? Because if it had been invented anyplace else, it would be a teeth brush. But it's from Arkansas, so it's just a toothbrush. But, oh, oh. that's the best I've got for today. Come on, help me, help me, somebody. And all you people from Arkansas, forgive me, forgive me. You're going to have to practice your Christian faith right there. All right. <laughs> and then, 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 then she says, and I paid $1,200. $1,200 for our hotel and tickets and food. And you will have fun. <laughs> All right. I think God in heaven looks down at his children sometimes. And he says, I sent my son all the way from heaven. And he paid a high price with his blood to secure for you a complete redemption and an everlasting release, and you put some faith in the blood and have some victory. He does not want you to go through life depressed, defeated, ashamed, a victim, in bondage. He's just God saying in heaven, he's saying, shake it off. Put some faith in the blood. Put some faith in the blood. Now, it's in Romans chapter 3. I want you to listen to this for just a moment. Romans, the third chapter, 25th verse. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, literally a sacrifice or a mercy seat. Some of your translations say sacrifice. Some of them say mercy seat. Through faith in his blood. See, Jesus becomes your sacrifice, the sacrifice for your sin, through faith in his blood. Now, faith is largely dependent on knowledge because faith comes by hearing, all right? So let me just take a few moments and talk to you about the blood of Jesus, the blood that he put on that mercy seat, all right? Now, if you were to ever go to church with Moses, you know, in my mind, I'm, I've been preparing a series of messages that I'm going to be doing from Hebrews chapter 11 about asking the greatest heroes of faith what lessons they'd like to teach us. And if you ever got with Moses, he's got some things to tell us. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that if you went to church with Moses, that Moses, when you went to church, he took blood, right? 
And he took blood and he sprinkled everything, the altar, the laver, the candelabra. He's got, Moses is going around, the Bible says he sprinkled every single thing, every instrument of worship that was in the tabernacle, he sprinkled it with blood. And then it says Moses took blood. And he took the book. And by the book was the part of the Bible that they had at that point. And it says that he sprinkled blood on the book. You say, why did he put blood on the part of the Bible that they had? Well, he put blood on it because whether you know it or not, it's a blood book or a blood covenant book. That's what it is. All right? And he put blood on the book. And then get this. It says, and then Moses took blood and he sprinkled all of the people. So you're in the front row, you got blood. You're in the back row, you got blood. You're in the balcony, you got blood. So you know what you did? You never wore white to church. Because you knew, I go to church, I'm going to get blood on me. Now you say, why is that? Because it is through faith in his blood that he becomes a sacrifice or a mercy seat for you. Right? It's through faith in his blood. Right? The highest form of worship always has to do with faith in the blood. Now, you and I think it's when we clap or lift our hands or shout or jump or sing or get goosebumps, right? But that's not the highest form of worship. The highest form of worship always has to do with faith in the blood. Now, Hebrews 4.16 talks about the result of the blood. It says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures. Mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need. Appropriate help, well-timed help, coming just when we need it. Now, I want you to, to notice there's two different things that happen here because of the blood. First of all, there is mercy for our failures, for the times that we miss it, for the times that we sin, right? And mercy has to do with your past, right? But it doesn't just talk about your past. It says, but there's also grace. Now, grace is for today and tomorrow. Grace has to do with your present and with your future. And you will find grace to help. Grace to get you through every situation that you face. Appropriate help. Well-timed help. So there is grace for every situation. It doesn't matter if it's spiritual, if it's physical, if it's financial, if it has to do with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with your relationships. Again, there are no exceptions. There's no special, unique problems, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. How? Through faith in the blood of Jesus. Through faith in the blood. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall then the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here again, it's talking about the blood. And it says that we're to put faith in that blood. And when we put faith in the blood, it purges your conscience from dead works. Regularly, I'll have somebody come up and introduce themselves. 
And this is, this is what they'll say, something like this. My name is Bob. I'm an ex-convict. My name is Mary. I'm divorced. My name is Tom. I'm an alcoholic. I've been a drug addict. They'll just, they'll just, they'll just list something. And what they're doing is they identify themselves, listen, based on their past failure. Right? But what the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, will do is it will cleanse your conscience from dead works. You will not think of yourself anymore based on the failures, the sins that you have committed in your life because you know that his blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, that he that knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. At the cross, Jesus took your sin, my sin, our unrighteousness, and he put it on Jesus. But he took Jesus' righteousness. Remember, at the cross, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was working in Christ, but he wasn't working on Christ. He was working on you, and he was working on me. He took God, Jesus' righteousness and gave it to us. Right? So what does that do? Well, when you have faith that Jesus' blood has paid for your sin, and not only paid for it, but made you right with God, that God has given you his righteousness, you no longer identify yourself with your past. And that's really the first test. Do I have faith in the blood? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself based on your sins and your failures? Or do you see yourself based on what Jesus has done for you? Second test, last part of the verse. Purge your conscience from dead works that you may serve the living God. That you may serve the living God. It comes down to this. How do you feel about being qualified to represent God? If I said to you, <clears throat> we just heard from somebody, there's a man or a woman in our church the doctor said they've got cancer, they've got two weeks to live, would you please go and pray for them? What would the first thought be in your mind? Um, find somebody else. <laughs> me? Why me? Well, because you've been justified, you've been washed in the blood, you've been sanctified, you're a representative of the kingdom of God, you're an ambassador for Christ. And the Bible said, Jesus said, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's why. But if you look at, listen, when you don't have faith in the blood and you think, you, you, you think do I qualify? If you're trying to qualify yourself, it's because you don't have faith in the blood. Because it's the blood that qualifies you. None of us are qualified except by the blood of Jesus. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, you, you, when you've got faith in the blood, you feel qualified. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. All right? Now, Jesus tells this story. He said that two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, a sinner. 
He said the Pharisee goes and prays. And, and I think it's interesting, Jesus said that he prayed to himself. You know it is not good when God is not even listening. All right? And this is what he said. He said, God, I thank you. I am so good. That I'm not like other people. He said, God, I, th- I, I tithe. I fast twice a week. I go to the synagogue. And I'm not like other people, like that guy over there in the corner. I, I'm not, you know, I don't steal, lie, cheat. And Jesus said, the other guy prays. And he beating his chest. Now, he's not beating his chest in penance to pay for his sin, but just in sincerity, he says, God. Your King James Bible says it this way. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Right? Other translations, some of you have it. And he said, be propitiate to me, a sinner. And some of you have got it. It says, be a mercy seat to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went to his house justified, not the other. Right? Now, the one guy thought, look, I do this and this and this, and I don't do this and this and this. And that justifies me. The other guy thought, the only thing that's going to help me is blood. Be a blood-covered mercy seat to me. And he went to his house justified. Hebrews 10, verse 13. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person. Now, all through the Old Testament, every year, they're sacrificing. In fact, at one time, Solomon sacrificed 22,000 animals in one day. Right? But you know what? None of those sacrifices could take away sin. None of them were perfect. There was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person. Jesus was the perfect person. His sacrifice at Calvary was the perfect sacrifice. To perfect some very imperfect people. How many of you would say, I qualify as the imperfect? All right. And he goes on. And by that single offering or sacrifice, he did everything that was necessary to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Think about that. Jesus did how much of what needed to be done for you and me? Everything. Now, the the Pharisee, he made his list. He said, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. But did that justify him? Nope. See, listen, it is not faith in his blood plus And he said, and I thank you, I'm not like other people that do this and this and this. So it's not faith in his blood minus. It's not faith in his blood plus what you do. It's not faith in his blood plus what you don't do. It's just faith in his blood. Because there was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect man that did everything that was necessary to perfect some very imperfect Faith in the blood, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a mercy seat through faith in his blood. It's not enough to just believe in God. We need to have faith that when Jesus went to the cross, that that sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. 
and that his blood paid for your sin, no matter what it was, doesn't matter. He obtained a complete redemption. Doesn't matter the sin, doesn't matter the need. He obtained it. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You're here today. You're not right with God. Maybe you're drifted away from the Lord. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. I've talked to people and say, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I hope I am. I'm trying to be. I've always thought when I died, I'd find out if I made it. But the Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. You're not supposed to die and find out. You're supposed to know today, by faith today, that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. And I want to personally beg you today, do not gamble with your soul. You need to know that you're right with God. And this is for you if you don't know. Or if you say, I know I'm far from God, but I want to get right, then this is for you. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. What's going to happen is this. We're going to pray together. And God is going to meet you in this place. And as you put faith in his blood today, you're going to be forgiven. Jesus is going to come into your heart. He's going to make you a new person on the inside. You're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Your way and your efforts won't get you to God. My way and my efforts will not get me to God. There is one way. And that's through Jesus. And as you lift your hand today, you're saying this first of all. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I know there's only one. It's Jesus. And I'm coming to him today to be saved. One. When you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm turning my back on my old life. I am no longer going to live to please myself. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. And I'm going to live for him every day. Two. Get ready. When I say three, lift that hand. When you lift your hand, you're saying, today by faith, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. I'm going to be a child of God, a part of the family of God on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up right now. Pray with For me. more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life, or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.